listening to the Trinity Church Chester Sermon Podcast. Trinity Church Chester is a new church seeking to reach the city with the good news of Jesus Christ. And at the heart of our ministry is our Sunday worship service, in which we hear a sermon preached from a particular part of the Bible. We're glad you're listening. We'd love to see you in person at the Welsh Presbyterian Church Building on St. John Street in the city centre. We meet there every Sunday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and you can find more details on our website trinitychester.church Come and join us as we seek to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Matthew chapter 6, 5 to 15 and let's hear God's word. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and are at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. It's God's word. Well, as we said, here at, here at Trinity, uh, over the summer, our sermon series is on the Lord's Prayer. Um, this famous prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Uh, and the Lord's Prayer, we were thinking last week a little bit about, is, um, is not designed for us to simply repeat the words uh, of the Lord's Prayer and then just be done with it. Um, but it encourages us to think about and to dwell on all the rich truths that are contained in this prayer. So last week we were looking at how Jesus teaches us to address God as our Father in heaven. And in teaching us to address God in that way, he's teaching us to dwell on all that God has done. That means we are now able to call him Father. And at the same time, we address him as our Father in heaven. Jesus is teaching us that he is, in a sense, in one very real sense, unlike us. He is in heaven. He is God and we are not. And we should dwell on that as well. And... As we recognise and as we learn more and more about who God is, it changes the way that we pray to him. Um, During the TV coverage of the Queen's Platinum Jubilee last weekend, uh, one of the Queen's former royal protection officers was interviewed, a man named Richard Griffin. And uh, it was part of his job as the royal protection officer uh, to, to go with the Queen on her various trips And in this interview, he was telling the story of one trip that he accompanied her on up at Balmoral Castle, uh, one of the royal holiday homes up in Scotland. Uh, And apparently, the area surrounding Balmoral is a popular destination for hikers. And one day when the Queen was out on a walk with this protection officer, Richard Griffin, um, two American hikers passed by and they stopped to say hello. Uh, But it quickly became clear that they didn't recognise the Queen. And so one of the Americans uh, is telling the Queen... Uh, and Richard Griffin, where he's from and where they've been to visit during their trip to the UK. And then he turns to the Queen and he says, and where do you live? Uh, 
And the Queen replied, well, I live in London, but I've got a holiday home up here, just the other side of the hills. And so this American man said, well, how often have you been coming up here? And the Queen said, oh, I've been coming up here ever since I was a little girl, so over 80 years. And the American thought for a moment, and he said, well, if you've been coming up here for over 80 years, then you must have met the Queen. And uh, apparently, as quick as the flash, the, as quick as the flash, the Queen said, uh, well, I haven't, but Dick here meets her regularly. Uh, and so the man said to Dick, you've met the Queen? What's she like? And, uh, and because he knew the Queen, he knew that he could have a laugh with her. He said, well, she can be very cantankerous at times, but she's got a great sense of humour. And then the American man put his arm around Dick Griffin and uh, passed his camera to the Queen and asked her to take a photo of them, uh, which she, she did. And then uh, the protection officer suggested he take a photo of him with the Queen, which he did. Uh, and then when they left, the Queen said, apparently to her protection officer, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when he shows those photos to his friends in America and hopefully someone tells him who I am. Now, imagine that American couple showing those photos to their friends and family when they're home from their trip and someone says, that's the Queen. Uh, and they bring up a photo of the Queen on the internet and they show them and sure enough they realise that that elderly lady who they'd... Uh, met in Balmoral, who'd been visiting Balmoral for over 80 years, was the Queen herself. Imagine how silly they'd feel when they met the Queen uh, and they'd spent all their time telling her about their trip, even asking her to take a photo of them. Imagine how they would have thought if we would have realised who we were speaking to. It would have changed so much. The beginning of the Lord's Prayer is an invitation to us to realise who it is we're speaking to. When we pray, and we are speaking to God, who is in heaven, who is to all his people their Father. And when we reflect on that, when we realise something more of who God is, then it changes the way that we pray to him. We see this in particular in the first three petitions. That's the first three things Jesus teaches us to ask for in this prayer. Because he teaches us in these first three things to focus more on God than on ourselves. Uh, So what does this first petition then that we're looking at today, hallowed be your name, teach us about how we ought to focus on God? Well, I want us to to see three things. I want us to look at what it means. I want us to look at who does it. And I want us to look at how they do it. So what does it mean? Who does it? And how? First of all, We need to ask the question, what does this request even mean? Hallowed be your name. It's not a request that's immediately obvious to us today, is it? And uh, part of the reason is that it's not immediately obvious to us is because we tend not to hear the word hallowed. We tend not to hear that very often, do we, in our our culture? Um, Perhaps one of the only times we hear it used is when it's used by sports commentators who want to describe something of the drama of an important sporting occasion. So uh, when it's the FA Cup final and the teams walk out from the tunnel onto the pitch, uh, perhaps the commentator will say something like, and now the players are walking out onto the hallowed turf of Wembley. Something like that. Now, that is actually quite useful in helping us understand what this word means. Uh, You don't have to know anything about football to understand something about what that commentator is saying there. What he's saying when he describes the pitch as the hallowed turf of Wembley is he's saying that there's something special about that turf. There's something special about the venue. There's something that 
sets this particular stadium apart from other stadiums. There's something distinct and unique about it. And the word hallowed here in Matthew 6, it refers to the same idea. It's a word that refers to what the Bible calls holiness. And in the Bible, holiness is something that's distinct and unique. Something about being pure and set apart from things that are impure. And so when it's used to describe God as it is here... Uh, it's used as a summary of all that makes God different than us. He is holy. He's holy. He's distinct. He's unique. He's pure and set apart. Uh, but this line of the Lord's Prayer, it doesn't teach us to simply state that God's name is holy. Uh, the line isn't holy is your name, but it's a request. Hallowed be your name. Which is to say, holy be your name. May your name be holy. What does it mean then for God's name to be hallowed, to be made holy? Well, first of all, when the prayer speaks of God's name uh, at the end of the line, how would be your name? Um, It's another way of referring to God himself. Do you know, we we don't do it. We don't detach a person from their name. Uh, That's why people go to great lengths to clear their name. Because their name isn't somehow detached from them, it's who they are. So when we're praying for God's name to be holy, we're praying for God himself to be holy. But then the question becomes, well, isn't God already holy? Isn't he already set apart and distinct and pure? Why is Jesus teaching us to pray for this? And the answer is, well, yes, God is already holy. He is set apart and completely pure. But this is a request for him to be recognised as such. Because his holiness is not universally recognised. And so as we pray for God's name to be hallowed, we're not praying for God to increase in holiness, as though that were possible. God is entirely perfect in himself. But we are praying for his holy name to be acknowledged as being holy put it another way, when Jesus teaches us to pray, hallowed be your name, he's teaching us to pray for God to be recognised and acknowledged for who he is. He's teaching us to pray for God to be given the reverence and the honour that he deserves. In fact, the, the word that's most similar to this word hallowed is the word glorify. We're praying in this first position for God to be glorified, for his supreme glory to be recognised and acknowledged. Now, before we move on, it's worth noting that this is the first petition of the prayer. This is the first request that Jesus teaches us to pray. And that's significant. It's significant that it's first. It means that this first petition ought also to be the first priority in our lives. God's glory ought to be our number one concern. God being acknowledged for who he is ought to be the very goal of our lives. We can spend a lot of time thinking about our own name and how we want to be perceived by others. But Jesus is teaching us to be more concerned about God's name and how he is perceived, how he is acknowledged, how he is worshipped. So this first petition draws us out then 
of our self-centeredness that we naturally gravitate towards. And it draws us to live not a self-centered life, but a God-centered life. Before we start thinking about how we live such a life, we need to ask a second question. Looked at, at what it means. But secondly, we need to ask the question, who does it? Uh, that is to say, who is the one who does the hallowing, as it were? Who is the one who ensures that God is recognized and acknowledged for who he is? And before we rush into thinking about how we can do this, how we can treat God's name as holy, uh, we need to take note of the fact that the emphasis here is all on God and what he does. It's not on us and what we do. Just look down at the first three requests in verse 9 and 10. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, in these first three petitions, we're not mentioned at all. You and I, we're not mentioned at all. God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. The emphasis is all on him, not us. And when you think about it, this makes complete sense when it comes to who is able to uh, recognise God's name and ensure that God's name is recognised as holy. Because you and I, we are not capable of recognising the true glory and worth of God's name. You know, if a person thinks that they have understood God, uh, if you think that you have recognised and acknowledged his holiness, his, his purity, his unique set-apartness, then the only thing that you demonstrate is that you haven't. And even if you've been a Christian for decades and decades, you still have to admit that although you ultimately do desire that God's name be given the reverence and honour and respect it deserves, you have to recognise that you are unable to do that yourself. You are unable to give God the reverence, the honour, the respect he deserves. You are Unable to acknowledge the true holiness and purity of God. You don't understand his true worth. Although deep down you desire his glory, when it comes to seeking his glory uh, through the way that you live your life, you're so often found wanting. Your desire itself for for God's glory is often too weak. See, we're not capable of glorifying God as we ought to. God is immense in his glory he is perfect in his holiness he's in a class of his own and he's so uniquely set apart that we have no hope of recognizing him of knowing him of acknowledging his glory unless he reveals it to us and so before this is a prayer for us to acknowledge god's holiness it's a prayer for god to reveal it Because without him revealing it, we would be left completely in the dark. And the glory of God's name would not be recognised at all. It's a prayer for God to do what he declares he will do in Ezekiel 36 verse 23. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, he said. But it is also, in a secondary sense, a prayer for God's name to be treated as holy by us, by you and I. Uh, If this is a prayer for the glory of God's name to be seen and acknowledged in the world, then one question we could ask is, where does God reveal the glory of his name in the world? 
Uh, Where in the world can the glory of God's name be observed? Well, there's one other place in Matthew's Gospel where the name of God is directly mentioned. It's right at the end of the Gospel. It's in Matthew 28, in the passage we were looking at a few weeks ago at a baptism service. Uh, There, in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus instructs his disciples to baptise followers of Jesus in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying that all who are baptised, all who receive baptism, are given the name of God. And so when we ask the question then, where in the world is God's name to be found? The answer is that God's name is to be found in the church. As all who are baptised receive the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then they bear that name for the rest of their lives. And so this first petition then is a prayer that God would cause the glory of his name to be seen in and through the church. So as we pray for God's name to be hallowed in the world, we are also to seek for that name to be hallowed in our lives and in our community. Well, what does that mean for us? What does that look like? It means that by the way we live our lives, we either contribute towards God being recognised for who he is in the world, or we contribute towards the lack of recognition shown towards God's holy name. By the way we live our lives, we either honour God as holy or we dishonour him. And when we live in such a way that we dishonour God, we are, at the same time, withholding from the world the opportunity to see the glory of God on display. Now let that that sink in for a moment. This means that when you disregard the importance of living a holy life, when you choose not to live according to God's word but to live as you want, Uh, When you choose not to live a God-centred life, but a self-centred life, then you, because you've been baptised, because you bear the very name of God, you're doing the opposite of what Jesus teaches us to seek in this first petition. Instead of acknowledging the glory of God by honouring him in the way that you live, you're firstly dishonouring him, and secondly, you're not allowing the true worth of his name to be seen. When you say, I know what God's word teaches about relationships, but I'm going to live how I want. God's name is dishonoured and his true glory is hidden. When you say, I know that God's word teaches us to wholeheartedly pursue godliness, but I'm, I'm doing okay. And you don't wholeheartedly pursue godliness. What does that say about God's name? Does it reflect its true value, his true worth? if we're half-hearted in our discipleship. Friends, when we're disobedient towards God's word, when we're half-hearted towards God's word, we not only fail to, uh, to live and acknowledge God's glory in our own lives, but also we deprive those around us of seeing God's glory. Shouldn't that motivate us to seek godliness in our own lives? See, we we don't just seek to live transformed lives by the gospel because we ought to. 
but because we want God's glory to be acknowledged in the world. We want his true worth and value to be recognised. So as those who bear his glorious name, we want the full glory of that name to be seen in our families and among our friends and in our workplaces and in our church. So friends, if there are things in your life that you know need to change, understand that this is what is at stake. God's glory, the holiness of his name being acknowledged for what it is. So pray, hallowed be your name, and let it truly be the priority of your entire life. But thirdly, how do we do that then? If that's what it means to pray, hallowed be your name, and if, although ultimately it's God who allows the true glory of his name to be recognised, we also have a responsibility to seek the honour of his name. Well, how are we to do that then? What does it look like to live a life that seeks the honour of God's name? Well, to end on a slightly more practical note, a life that seeks the honour of God's name is a life that grows in three areas. Knowledge, thankfulness, and trust. Firstly, knowledge. If this prayer, hallowed be your name, is a prayer that God himself would be recognised for who he is, then we need to be growing in our understanding of who he is. The prophet Hosea Hosea in the Old Testament urged God's people, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. That's what all of our learning should be aiming at. We don't just want to become knowledgeable about the Bible and theology, but we want to know God. And we ought to want to know him as he is, not as we like to think of him. So we constantly need to be growing in knowledge. But secondly, true knowledge of God doesn't stop with our minds, but it translates to our hearts and to our mouths. And so if we're going to be those who truly honour God's name, then we need to be growing in thankfulness. If we're growing in in knowledge of who God is, if we truly are growing in knowledge of who God is, then we'll be growing in gratitude towards God. In gratitude that he's revealed himself to us, he's revealed his great worth to us, in gratitude for all that he has done for us. In fact, some writers throughout history try to argue that nothing obscures God's glory more than our ungratefulness. Do you know, imagine a church full of ungrateful Christians, full of people who profess to know God and who bear his name, yet they never seem to be thankful to God for anything and always seem to be discontent and complaining and see, seeing the worst in every situation. Well, what does that attitude say about their God? Doesn't it say that he's not enough for them? That what he has done for them is, is not enough for them? That Doesn't it obscure his glory? Instead, we're to be thoroughly thankful people. Our hearts ought to be filled with grateful joy towards God. We ought to live our lives with a constant appreciation that he has been gracious to us. And with a settled understanding that even though we don't always perceive it, in every circumstance he is good to us. 
Which ought to lead us, thirdly, to those who are growing in trust. You know, this theme runs throughout the Lord's Prayer. Uh, We see it in the introduction to the Lord's Prayer in verse 8, where Jesus says, Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Uh, You can trust him, is the point. And because he is perfect in his holiness, because he is holy, you can know that nothing that happens to you is due to him being in any way unholy. He is not vindictive like we can be. He does not repay evil for evil like we can. All his ways are perfect and good. He is infinitely wiser than we can imagine. He hears our prayers and he withholds what he withholds and he grants what he grants in accordance with his wise intentions. And so his wisdom ought to lead us to an ever-deepening trust in him. And just think for a moment how we see his wisdom play out. Who else? Who else would ever have been able to imagine that the redemption of God's people would be brought about through the Son of God descending to this world, being born to ordinary parents, and although the most glorious name belonged to him, he would suffer the least hallowed of all deaths on behalf of all those who would respond to him in simple, ordinary faith. Only a God beyond our understanding could accomplish such a great and full redemption. And so why wouldn't we trust him? He is wise. And to this God belongs all glory. And so our prayer, Jesus teaches us, ought to be that he would cause his glorious name to be recognised for what it is and that he would do so in our lives. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do come to you this afternoon to pray these words that Jesus teaches us to pray, that your name would be recognised in its great worth, in its great holiness. And that it would be recognised that way in our lives. And so we commit ourselves to you towards that end. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Trinity Church Chester Sermon Podcast. We hope that this message is a blessing to you. If you'd like to know more about the Christian faith and what it means to live as a Christian please do get in touch. You can email hello at trinitychester.church or head to the connect page on our website, trinitychester.church forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you soon.